As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard The Athletic's Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. The first day in pads for the Jets today. We're going to have a full recap. Thanks for joining us. I'm Tim McMaster, along with Connor Hughes and Marissa Morris. Of course, Connor, our Jets reporter at The Athletic. Marissa, our producer. Thanks for joining us. If you're checking us out live on YouTube or on Apple and Spotify, if you're listening, give us a review. Give us the thumbs up. Whatever way you can say you're enjoying what you're watching or listening to, <laughs> you know, let us know. Uh, also, a very special happy birthday to both Zach Wilson, who turned 22 on Tuesday, and Tom Brady, who turned 44 on Tuesday. Zach Wilson commenting that he was one year old when Tom Brady reported to his first training camp with the Patriots. Uh, all right, we're going to get to Zach Wilson, how he did. We're going to get to the offense, the great new pass rush of the New York Jets, all that stuff that Connor was at practice today checking out. But we have to start with an update on Cameron Clark, of course, the scary moment that ended the Jets practice on Tuesday uh, right at the end because he injured his neck, was taken off in a stretcher, taken to the hospital. But good news now, spinal cord contusion. He's expected to make a full recovery. Uh, but Connor, you know, there was at least some time there where that didn't necessarily seem like it was the case. No, that that was that was the most scary and surreal um thing I've ever experienced at a Jets practice. I mean, I've I've seen a lot, but I've I don't think I've ever seen any injury that see. I mean, I don't ever actually recall the stretcher coming out for for a player. I don't ever recall that ambulance that sits in the back corner of the practice field ever actually being used and you know, it was kind of weird when it all happened because you couldn't really tell exactly what was happening. And what I mean by that is like Obviously, the, the Jets have been great in, in the fact that they've changed our vantage point because the first couple practices, we had to stand in the end zones when they practice on those first two fields, the one when the practices aren't open to the public. And they create like a wall of players that kind of block everything that you're seeing. So you can't observe play by play. You can't observe really analysis highlights. They kind of taken us up on the patio, which overlooks all of like practice. You can actually see everything. But when this happened, you kind of had to see over a wall of players and then obviously there's a pass that's complete. So you're kind of watching where the ball is going. And then the, the, the play ends and the offense starts retreating back to the huddle and the defense starts retreating back to their huddle. 
and all you see is a, a body that's laying on the ground. And you can't really tell the number because of the way that he was laying on his side and his feet were kind of weird or his legs were very weirdly crossed. And you kind of look at it, you're like, oh, somebody's hurt. And then immediately, I mean, every member that's a medical personnel, every training staff, everyone just rushed over to him. And like, obviously, it's all reporters like Costello, Rich. They, they guys all had their binoculars. I didn't have my binoculars with me. Everyone's trying to figure out who it is. You can't tell because of the pure number of people that were around Cameron Clark when he was on the ground. And obviously, I think what was really weird was that not even – a minute is he on the ground that a they haven't moved his body but b all of a sudden the cart's coming out and then to see them once the cart gets there not you're lifting a player onto the cart like he's got a knee injury but the stretchers immediately coming out and then you have the training staff motioning to the uh the ambulance to start the ambulance and get the ambulance going i mean it was surreal and, and obviously you don't ever want to speculate you don't ever want to think what could possibly go wrong you can't really tell was it just a really bad break was it a bad leg was it a bad this was it a neck you couldn't really tell what it was but then obviously when when sala came to the top of the podium he goes it's a neck injury and you say you know i asked him does he at least have movement in his extreme because he's like we're not going to provide any details we should have it later today but when he says you know do you have any extremities and he said some i mean that just makes your heart sink and it makes your stomach drop because what is some? Does that mean that he moved his fingers but not his legs? And uh, Rich, uh, Rich Samini at ESPN obviously got in contact with Cameron Clark's dad when I was driving home. And and obviously his dad said, you know, he had no feeling in his legs. And then the feeling from his legs came when he was in the the um the ambulance back at the back of the ambulance. He started having feeling in his legs again. And then obviously getting this report from the Jets that he's expected to make a full recovery is huge because anytime you have something like that, an injury like that, it puts everything into perspective about honestly just how dangerous this sport can be yeah that's what i was gonna say a reminder of the nfl and football and what can happen when people are moving this quickly and are this strong and, and this big um but good news at the end that he's going to are expected to make a full recovery um all right on to the rest of jets practice and as we tend to do we're going to start with zach wilson because last time we did this podcast zach wilson hadn't signed yet that kind of became the podcast basically that what is going on two days into camp no zach wilson well he did sign before Connor went to his wedding. So everything worked out on that front. And uh, now he's been at practice a couple of days and practice with pads today. And it's been, I think, what you expect, right? Not always great, but certainly showing flashes, signs of improvement at time. We're going to get to the, the other pieces as well. But Connor, I know his first practice was one of those, okay, he took his lumps and then over the weekend when Robert Mays was kind of filling in for you, he looked better. And then it it seems like from what I'm hearing, today was kind of a mix. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I I I, I was cracking up. I can't remember which of the which Jets fan was the first one to connect uh Zach Wilson's successes to my attendance and whether or not I was I was in attendance. I kind of figured that one was coming as soon as I like I said, it, it was I, I, I one of my best friends, uh, one of my groomsmen got married in Maine. So obviously I had to miss my first training camp practices. I think the day Bree and I moved in, I missed one. And then uh, this these two were, were the only training camp practices I've missed since like 2015. I think it was so um, I, I was uh, I was following along on Twitter, kind of seeing some of the highlights. And it started, I think, like a little like, oh, short, short, short. And then when he started hitting those ball, hitting those passes, to Elijah Moore, I was like, oh, man, some Jet fan's going to gonna make this connection and, and boot me from ever seeing this kid practice again. And and so, obviously, I, I read 
the play-by-play uh, that, that was out there on the team on the team period from from the two practices that I wasn't there. I, I caught up obviously with with the excellent story that that Mays kind of put up there, filling in and and kind of you know slapping him into the ring to to play it to uh, to play Jets beat writer for that day. Um, but this day was kind of as you said, it was a little bit of a, a mix of everything. There was some good, there was some bad, and and I I think that the one area that I was a little like troubled by and I it didn't make sense to me was his deep ball accuracy because Zach has a cannon I mean he doesn't have the ability to make every throw on the field he has the ability to make throws that other humans can't make I mean he has that next level arm strength the ability to flick his wrist and have the thing go 60 70 yards down the field I mean the kid is ridiculously talent from a talented from an arm strength perspective now, where I was kind of a little drawn off was that we've seen a couple of times now in practice, both in his very first practice and a couple of times today, him have guys that are running wide open down the field, like wide open. They broke past the secondary. They are they are open and it's not even close. And he puts these passes up that kind of hang in the air and they're not wounded ducks There are not passes where you're like, oh, he just doesn't have the arm strength to get it down there. He's just throwing it up, and they're just coming short. And the one that you saw, obviously, on on the the Jets tweeted out the video from the first practice where Elijah Moore kind of had to turn and catch it as he was falling down, and then his helmet falls off. That was one where Moore is three steps past Bryce Hall. You put it out there over his shoulder. He's catching it and jogging it into the end zone. And then the practice, I wasn't there. I saw a couple of the highlights the fans had tweeted out. You know, Moore was wide open behind the defense and, the, and Zach Wilson put it on him. But today it was Vincent Smith and Vincent Smith's behind the defense by by a couple of steps. And Wilson's passed the first one hung in the air. Uh, Smith had to come back for it, still made the catch, but came backwards. So it's a long game, not a touchdown. Then another one, Smith opened behind the defense and Wilson again didn't hit it deep enough. And so, you know, Smith has to come back and the ball's broken up by the defend by the by the defense and it's an incompletion. Those are passes that, in my opinion, was like, well, they should be pitch and catch. Like, why, why is he? Because he has the arm strength. This isn't like when Chad Pennington was here. This isn't like when you have Mark Brunel. This isn't like when you have a quarterback, that Teddy Bridgewater, that can't get it out there. Zach can get it out there, so why isn't he getting out there, right? Like, it didn't make too much sense to me. And Sala actually explained it really well. And this is something that, again, covering Sala is a, a – I haven't been doing it very long clearly because he's just been this team's head coach but something that I, I really appreciate and respect from him when he talks to the media is that he doesn't speak to us and in turn speak to the fans like we don't know what we're talking about and I'll, I'll be the first one to say this I've said this on this show before like we will never you Marissa me like Tim the three of us are never going to understand football to the level that a professional coach does we understand it more than the average person. You can understand it on a very advanced level, but the, the level of football that these guys understand and the level of football that these men and and now women who are working in this in these coaching staffs as well, though the Jets don't, but there are several other teams like Bruce Arians and stuff who have women on staff. The way that they understand this game is rocket science compared to algebra and all this other stuff. I mean, it really is different. So sometimes coaches will just be honestly assholes and they talk to you like you don't know what you're talking about and it's like man now you're just being condescending you're talking down it's just annoying Salah doesn't do that he really doesn't he talks to you and he explains the game almost as if he's coaching and teaching you and when he was saying in this in in today's uh um 
uh, press conference. Sorry, it's been a very long day. What he was saying in this press conference was basically that Zach isn't totally comfortable yet. So when he's missing some of those throws, he's missing them because of the pressure. And what that means is like the Jets are really getting to him, and they are. And we're going to talk about it in a little bit. I mean, Carl Lawson's all over him. Bryce Huff's all over him. Sheldon Rankins, Nathan Shepard. Uh, they're all getting pushed in the middle. I mean, John Franklin Myers, they are they are getting and they are condensing the pocket that when that happens, Wilson doesn't completely trust everything yet to the point where he just knows where somebody's going to be. So when you've played a few more weeks, obviously, or you get a few more reps and you start to understand this offense more, what ends up happening is that as that pocket collapses in on you and you start to feel that pressure. It's not about getting uncomfortable in the pocket. It's about knowing, okay, I've repped this play a hundred times already. So I know that my X is going to be at this position on the field. So it's not about looking for the receiver. It's not about saying, okay, where's Vincent Smith? And then finding Vincent Smith and trying to lead him. It's having repped this play so often that you know that because the play has been going on at this uh, for, for this length of time, Vincent Smith is going to be at this position on the field. And you're not throwing to lead a receiver. You're not throwing to see the receiver and then throw it to him. You are knowing that because you got this defensive look against this offensive play and you have this player in this position running this route, he is going to be at this position on the field at this time. So Zach Wilson's not sitting there trying to lead someone. He's just uncorking and bombing a ball to a specific spot on the field, trusting that his receiver is going to be there. That's not happening yet just because he doesn't have those reps underneath his belt. He hasn't run this play-action go route, this play-action post enough to know, okay, this is where he's going to be at this point in time. This is where Elijah Moore is going to be. This is where Vincent Smith's going to be. And those plays that he underthrew Vincent Smith, uh, except for the first, the first one was a bad one. The other play that he underthrew Vincent Smith and the one where he underthrew Elijah Moore, he wasn't underthrowing them in a perfect pocket. It was like the pocket was collapsing on him. He's kind of moving up and he's trying to uncork and throw, but he's not just uncorking and throwing. He's stepping up, looking for the receiver, seeing as he open and then throwing it. He can cause some kind of like hiccups and stuff like that. So it's kind of fun to watch the development of him in real time. And the way that I can explain it easiest is, is actually in one-on-one drills. And, and it was the lead of the column that we wrote for the story today off jets practice. And it was, Elijah Moore, within the first one or two reps of of one-on-one drills, was in one-on-one coverage against uh, Bless Austin. Bless Austin pressed him at the line. Elijah Moore got off the press, and Zach Wilson threw a pass to him that was underthrown, which allowed uh, Bless Austin to jump up and bat it away. That was the first real time the Jets had run a go route with Elijah Moore against Bless Austin, where Bless Austin pressed him and knocked Elijah Moore up against the line. So when Zach Wilson went to go throw it, he wasn't really sure what the timing was going to be. After that play happened, Elijah Moore and Zach Wilson came together, and Zach Wilson was like, look, I saw what happened. I got to get out there further. Moore looked at him and said, let's run it back again. So the very next time that Bless Austin and Elijah Moore were against each other, they ran that exact same go route. Uh, Elijah Moore again got two or three steps on Bless Austin, and Zach Wilson this time didn't underthrow him. He hit him right over the right shoulder, caught it, and it was off to the races for Elijah Moore. The next time Zach Wilson's in that position with Vincent Smith running the post, He's going to know what to do. The next time he feels that pocket collapsing, he steps up. He's going to know where to go with the ball. And it's just about the acclimation and development of a rookie. And and to kind of see it happening in real time is pretty cool. It's just a matter of him having to get there. 
All right. So he's getting there. He's making progress. He's still kind of on an island because there's no veteran quarterback that we've talked about. I just wanted to check in on that quick because Nick Foles uh, spoke at Bears <laughs> camp this week. He was actually speaking more because they brought him up because of the Carson Wentz injury. Uh, Carson Wentz, of course, is going to be out having surgery on a, a broken foot and he's going to miss five to 12 weeks. But they talked to Foles about different places. Obviously, he has the relationship with Carson Wentz from the time with the Eagles. Not a but good his one. quote his quote, really about being, yeah. <laughs> His quote about being with the Bears cracked me up, Connor. He said, I'm going to keep slinging it with these third stringers and we're going to dice it up. It just seems like a guy who's like, you know what? I am where I am. I wish I wasn't here, but right now there's nothing I can do about it. But do you think eventually is there a way to get a guy like that to the Jets? Well, the Jets are clearly not going to trade for him because they don't want his contract. No. So I think it would come down to how the Bears are going to cut him. And if the Bears cut him, then obviously he's a free agent and, and the Jets will probably go out there and get him because, I mean, look, the, the one thing to be said about this, and, and I think it was Samini who actually brought it up to, to Salah in the press conference last week, is that they, the 49ers never really had an experienced backup. I mean, they kind of rolled with these guys like Nick Mullins and, and all this stuff. And then, you know, they put him out there and saw what was going to happen. Now, I think the difference there was, they had an established veteran quarterback in Jimmy G. I mean, Garoppolo was a proven quarterback. I mean, they, they, you know, a proven, I guess, was probably a little bit of extreme because, you know, when they traded for the Patriots, they were taking a gamble because they didn't totally know if he was going to be great or not. But still, they were able to, like, get a guy that they saw, and then they knew they saw him the one where he, after they traded for him, he went like 5 and 0 to end the season. They knew they had it, they knew they had a player. They, they knew they had a pretty good quarterback. So there wasn't the need to be like, okay, you know, we've got the proven guy and then we've got some youngsters behind him, which I think alleviates that with, with Wilson. It's, it's a two prong thing. It's, it's not the backup quarterback. Isn't just so you have insurance. If Zach goes down, it's also to help develop Zach because you, right. you know, this, we talk about the youth and, and I said this, I, I said, I brought this up to Zach today because, you know, there was a, the first snap that the jets took in team drills today. You got Zach Wilson under center who's a rookie. You got Michael Carter behind him, who's a rookie. You have Elijah Moore out, out wide right, who's a rookie. You have Vera Tucker at left guard, who is a rookie. You have Mekhi Becton, who's been in the league for one year and doesn't even have a full 16 games of experience under his belt. So there's all of these like youth here, youth, youth, youth. And even the quarterbacks coach, first year quarterbacks coach, offensive coordinator, first year offensive coordinator. And we talk about Zach Wilson being so much younger to Tom Brady. I mean, his quarterback's coach is 33, or his offensive coordinator is 33 years old. I mean, seriously, if you look at Michael Floor, I bet you that guy still gets carded at bars because not only is he young, he looks young as hell. Like, it is mm -hmm. wild. Yeah, so, is. I mean, I think it's like, and, and I think it's one of those things where it's like, eventually you do want some experience in the room. You know, you want those things. And and I don't think that the trade is going to happen. I just don't. Um, I think the Jets are, are going to roll throughout this offseason with Mike White and, and James Morgan. And I actually don't know if they'll make a move for another quarterback unless something happens to Zach. I just don't. And and it's the way that Salah's kind of explained it is like they've put this work into these guys. They might as well keep working on these guys and developing these guys. And and when we talked to him about it a couple or a week ago at the start of training camp, he had said, you know, look, Tony Romo isn't found unless you give him a chance. Tom Brady isn't found if you give him a chance. Talk to some people that like saw Romo when he was young and and Brady and all that stuff. James Morgan and Mike White are not Romo. James Morgan and Mike White are not Tom Brady. So, like, we can we can throw that one aside. So, it's a, that that is not – I mean, Romo flashed. 
like uh, Costello was talking about this because he actually covered the the Cowboys. Is that Parcells? That cap camp kept saying like, "Hey, there's something here. There's this kid here in Romo. There's something here in this Romo kid." No one's realistically watching Jets practice and saying that about Morgan or White. I mean, it's just not happening. So I don't know if like a trade is going to happen there for White. I mean, or a uh, Foles. I, I don't think that's the case anymore. The Jets clearly do not want his contract. But if he were to be cut or someone else were to be cut, I think that then there's there's something there that they could move on with. All right, so Elijah Moore, you've already mentioned him a couple of times. He continues to kind of be the star of the summer, and it just kind of is building. And it seems like other you know, people outside the Jets world are starting to take notice of what Elijah Moore can be. And I, I wanted to play this one bite from Salah from today. Connor, you asked him the question um, about Elijah Moore, but he got into generally how well the draft went for this team. Marissa, go ahead and play that clip. I think it's documented. We're all pretty darn excited when he when he dropped because he was a, he was a serious a serious conversation at 23 uh, if he had gotten there. And obviously we moved up to go get uh, Vera Tucker. So if you would have said that we would have came away with those three plus Michael Carter in the fourth round, I would I would have asked no, I would ask you what you're smoking. So. <laughs> Can hear you laugh in the it. background there. Because oh, yeah, you could tell, like when he said it, dude, like. You could, t- I mean, he's such like a down, Salah's such a down to earth guy. Like you could tell that when he was getting to that point in the question, he, he, he had, I would ask you what you were smoking in his head. And then he was like, mm, I probably shouldn't say that. Then he was like, I kind of want to say it. Probably shouldn't say it. F it. I'm going to say it. And then he said, it was just to hear, I guess it was, it was good. It was, I give him, I give him, it was good. It was a good line. I should have looked over at Eric Gelfand though and see, saw what he, what he <laughs> said once he dropped that line. Cause it was, it was, uh, it was pretty good. I don't know. The Jets suddenly out of nowhere become like a really quotable team because Morgan Moses was, was good. And uh, Zach Wilson dropped the end of practice. Six. He was at the end of practice. He was having like a catch with Salah's kids. And somebody asked like uh Serby asked him like, Oh, what, what's the scouting report on Salah's sons? And, and Zach Wilson goes, I think he was missing a few. Apparently there's a couple more of them. I haven't met yet. So like, I mean, it's like out of nowhere, the Jets have become a really quotable team. It's great. Let's keep it rolling. Jets keep talking for sure. All right. So back to Elijah Moore and, you know, the next step in the progression, right, is he he flashed. He was the best player this summer at OTAs, at minicamp. But now, now he's with the first team to start, Connor. It was him, Corey Davis, Jamison Crowder out there together at the start of practice, not working in with the first teamers, but actually kind of being that guy as a first teamer. I mean, at what point should we stop just like the, the building of excitement? And, and is there going to be a point where you're like, all right, there, there's a rookie mistake. There's something from Elijah Moore because it seems like day after day, he's the best player on the team. I reached out to someone in their building um, about Moore because like I said, I, I, you watch it, we see it. Like he does this catch. He makes this play. He does this. And, and as a reporter, you're like, wow, but you also don't know if like I see Elijah Moore get behind the defense by three or four yards and make the the big catch for the touchdown, right? I'm like, wow, that's a hell of a play by Elijah Moore. But what this staff will know is that, no, actually the corner bit this way, the safety should have been there, and it was actually more of a defensive breakdown than it was Elijah Moore making a hell of a play. And like we don't know that because, A, we don't know the play, but, B, we also don't have the aid of instant replay in – in practice where we can't get that film and go over and over and over again and look it back and say like, okay, like you can with uh, the all 22 coaches film that you can get from NFL.com. Like when the season starts and you can go and actually watch the plays and see kind of what happened and what went wrong. You can't do that in training camp. So I kind of reached out to some people that I know within the building just to say like, like, you know, give me a scouting report on the guy. 
the thing I got back was eight. His number is awesome. Period. That's it. <laughs> eight is awesome. That's it. Like that. Like that's what I'm saying. Like the kid every day does something else. Every. I mean, Salah even said it on the record where he said he's special. He's different. He's special. Like the 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 fact that teams this many teams passed on this kid based off of what we're seeing. I talked to people in the Jets building off the record, and what they've said is that they knew they were getting a good player. They didn't know they were getting this good of a player. And the only other player that they feel that way about where they have gotten more return than they thought was imaginable was Carl Lawson. And we'll talk about him in a bit. Is the same thing where they didn't know they were getting this level of a player. And I can't it I, I I've written it so much since minicamp and OTAs and the first week of training camp. It was nice to have that open practice because it finally allowed everyone to see what we're talking about. It's not fodder. It's not just not having anything else to write about. Elijah Moore and Shaq, Elijah Moore and Carl Lawson throughout training camp have made it so that you can't write about anyone else. Not speaking about these guys, even if it is a note in every single practice report, is doing them injustice. It's just, it, it's, it's, I'm amazed watching Elijah Moore and seeing how he can make these plays out of the slot. He can go and make these plays split wide. Yeah, the the highlights and the deep catches where he's making the diving catch, the one where he's falling and his helmet's coming off, the 80-yard touchdown that he caught in, in the practice that was open to, to fans. Yeah, those will all steal the headlines. But I, I challenge you guys that when the next open practice, watch him when he runs a curl route. Watch the precision that he runs his routes with. Watch the, the way that he uses his hands. There's no body catching. This guy is just, it's out. He makes the grab and he pulls it right back in. I mean, he is so strong-handed. He is so explosive. Watch watch the next time fans are at a practice. Watch the way that he creates his separation and that he starts running, right? Now watch how Bryce Hall's with him for the first five yards. Look at it at 10. Look at it at 15. Look at it at 20. You see the guy just keeps separating and separating and separating. And then watch the way he gets open when he does get chances to work in the slot when Crowder's not in there. Watch his route running and how quick he is with his feet. He's just a do-it-all dynamic player. And I have not seen a receiver like him on this team in my entire tenure covering them. And obviously, I removed Brandon Marshall from the equation because Brandon Marshall was a completely different receiver. I kind of remove Eric Decker because Eric Decker was a route technician, but not as athletically gifted as Elijah Moore is. This kid is so special. This kid does things that I just haven't seen before. And I think what amazes me is that every single practice that I watch him in, I come away saying, Tomorrow, I think I've kind of seen it all. I don't know what else Elijah Moore can do. And then the next day comes and he does something else. And, and we've said this, Tim, and you and I have talked about this. We've said it over and over and over again. We're going to get to a point eventually where the Jets can't keep him off the field. That it's not about what Keelan Cole does. That it's not about what Corey Davis does. That it's not about what Jamison Crowder does. It's not about any of that. It's getting to the point where this kid is too good to keep off the field. We have reached that point. When the Jets began practice today with Corey Davis split wide and Elijah Moore split wide in a with Trayvon, with Tra Trayvon Wesco in there at fullback. So they were in a heavy set 
five offensive linemen, a tight end, a fullback, and a running back I formation with just two wide receivers. They had just two wide receivers on the field, and Elijah Moore was one of them. When that happened, it shows you that the Jets have reached the point where they can't take him off the field. They can't. And he, like Salah said it today, everyone talks about how mature he is and all that stuff. When he said that all he does is want more, all he does is want more opportunities. He just wants to learn. He wants more opportunities. He wants chances to prove himself. And he just is like a sponge where he's just keep giving me more, keep asking me to do more, ask me to do more. Don't limit me at all. I thought when the Jets drafted him, he was drafted to be Jamison Crowder's replacement next year. That's what I thought because I looked at the college stats. I saw his college highlights and saw he played like 95% of his snaps in the slot. And the other 5% were like gadget plays when he was in the backfield. I was like, okay, he's a slot receiver. From the moment he got to the Jets, they're like, we think he can do more. There's no thinking anymore. He can. He can be this team's starting outside wide receiver. He can be this team's starting slot receiver. What he is, though, is this team's best offensive player. I haven't seen him play an NFL game yet. I haven't seen him play a regular season snap. I haven't seen him go up against anyone other than the Jets defense. I don't need to. I can tell you right now that the Jets' best offensive player is the kid they draft in the second round. And that's no ill feelings towards Corey Davis, no ill feelings towards Jamison Crowder, Chris Herndon, Michael Carter, or Tevin Coleman, Zach Wilson, all that stuff. Doesn't nothing negative towards any of those guys. Elijah Moore is the best player. He is. And, and it's now to the point where the Jets have reached the point where they can't take the kid off the field. And now it's just a matter of, Keep asking him to do things until he shows you he can't do it. And I have not seen anything like that. And the only player that I can compare him to as a rookie where he stepped on the field in OTAs and he stepped on the field in minicamp and you were like, he's different. He looks different is Odell Beckham. When I watched Beckham when I was covering the Giants in 2014, Beckham in OTAs and minicamp, you were like, he's different. And then when he finally started getting healthy again and you saw him break out because he dealt with a hamstring injury that sidelined him forever. Like you finally saw him in the game and he was different. That's where I'm at with Elijah Moore. He's not as like flamboyant with like the jumping up and the one handed grabs and like, you know, all that's, he's not that he's, he's a guy. I started somebody at the Jets facility to, uh, the, in the Jets building today. And I said, I'll be honest with you. I made the same comparison. So the only one I can compare him to is Odell, but Odell, you could tell even, even back then you could tell there was going to be a spotlight on him that was going to bring good and bad. I told, I told, I was talking to the person, about. I was like, I would be honest with you. If you told me that Elijah Moore shows up to practice every single day in a three piece suit, carrying a briefcase, I'd believe you because that's the level of professionalism he possesses. Believe the hype, believe the hype. I know I had people on Twitter were like, Oh, Connor's going crazy over this. Elijah Moore He's the best thing since sliced bread. Yada, yada. Watch him. Like, that's all I'm saying. Like, don't, don't believe me. Watch the kid. All of these fans, the thousand so or not thousand, a couple hundred fans that they had in attendance at, at this open practice, they got a chance to see what we've seen since OTAs because the things he did there, he's been doing. And eventually it's just to the point where it's it's not hype. It's not a hot streak. It's not looking good for a couple of days. It's not, oh, he's flashing. It's no, it's consistently good. And when you're so consistently good as a rookie that starting the second week of training camp, the coaching staff has you with the starters, that says something. That says something really, really good about what type of player the Jets have. And I got my questions and my reservations about Joe Douglas's first draft class. If you want to talk about that in a second, we can absolutely do that because that first draft class is not looking very good right now. But this second one, this second one's got the chance to be something special. And I mean that. And you mentioned seeing other, you know, take other people's opinions. We mentioned that Robert Mays was there Saturday covering you uh, for you a little bit. And that was the start of his column about the Jets Saturday was if you're looking for someone to stop the hype train on Elijah Moore, I am not that person. I think that was the line he had. So, yeah, it's it's for real. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, Connor, switching up to the defense. We've talked all offense, the quarterback, the receiver, but you've mentioned Carl Lawson. Let's get into it a little bit more. Two more sacks today. Uh, and I saw on Twitter you explained kind of what a, a sack in training camp is, which is either a tap on the shoulder or just an obvious trip to the quarterback, whatever it is. Two of them for, Car- for Carl Lawson. Um, He's just everything they thought and more. And I want to get into this as well. As good as he is against Makai Becton, is only going to make Makai Becton better. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say I'm a little concerned at the rate at which Carl Lawson is beating Makai Becton. I mean, Becton's a guy that the Jets believe has have has all pro potential. And, and I would think that like anyone who is an all pro tackle isn't going to get beat this religiously by, by a defensive end. But I mean, it just goes to show you what what Lawson's doing. I mean, when when I mentioned like I was talking about Elijah Moore with somebody else, you know, within the building, you know, they they one of the first things they kind of brought up when I was talking about Elijah Moore is you know we talked about him for a little bit. And they goes, oh, and by the way, fifty eight something special too. And the Jets thought they were getting like a good player. They thought they were getting a really good player in in Lawson, a guy that was gonna routinely put himself around the quarterback, be disruptive, be a good pass rusher. You know, not. Nick Bosa, but somebody that was kind of going to be a really good defensive end for them. And then they can get their Nick Bosa coming up with one of these draft picks that they've acquired from, from Seattle and things like that. Instead, they have been blown away by the type of player that he is and blown away at the way that he is blossoming in this defensive scheme. Lawson joked with us or semi joked with us when we spoke to him early in training camp about how he left a hundred sacks out there on, on, on the field last year, because he expects to get to the quarterback every single time he drops back. He might actually finish training camp with a hundred sacks. I mean, because it is, I'm not kidding with you guys. When I say every, every practice two or three times, he's back there two or three times. He's beaten Mekhi Becton outside. He's beat Mekhi Becton inside and he's running over and he's tapping Zach Wilson on the helmet. He's tapping Zach Wilson on the pads. At one point he basically came, he, he came, he got to Zach Wilson so quickly that he just stood behind him with his hands at his sides and let Zach Wilson continue to go through his read progressions, knowing that he was basically breathing down his neck, just standing there. I've never seen a player so disruptive on this defense and the jets have had some pretty good players. I mean, I, I was there when Sheldon Richardson was in his prime. I was there when Mo Wilkerson was, was in his prime. I was there, you know, when they brought in players that they thought could rush the passer and guys they thought would be pretty good. I've, I've seen like decent players and, and pro bowl players because Sheldon and Mo were pro bowl players. I've seen those guys practice and get to the quarterback and be disruptive. What, 
Lawson's doing to a player that is not bad. Like that's the thing is like this isn't like when when players were beating the hell out of Eric Flowers with the Giants, you know, like like or when you have uh here when when somebody goes down and you got Connor McDermott starting at left tackle, you know, you got that kind of a guy out there. You expect that player to get beat pretty handedly. You kind of look at when that guy gives up sacks and you put an asterisk down cuz you're like, "Okay, well, yeah, so-and-so should be beating Connor McDermott. He's not that good. Or so-and-so should be beating Murray because he's not that good. Or so-and-so should be beating Eric Flowers because he's not that good. Becton's a good player. Becton showed last year he's a good player. Is he all pro? We'll see. He's got to take that next step. But he's, at the minimum, a good player. And Lawson's beating him like a drum every practice. I mean, again, it's it's two or three times every single day this guy's getting in the backfield, getting to the quarterback, attacking the quarterback, and sacking him. And it's just... He's running around like a Wolverine. Like that's what he is. He's like the Tasmanian devil. He's just going and he's so he's he's low to the ground and he's able to come on the outside. He's coming the inside. He's strong too, though. I mean, that's the thing is he's not only quick and fast and, and smaller, which works to his advantage, but he's strong too. And you got to see it in games. You got to see him put the double digit sacks on the stat sheet. Cause ultimately, I mean, I know hits are what, what, you know, players or what coaches highlight and, and, and hits are what, you know, really gets guys in, into the pro bowl and hits ultimately like hits or not getting the point hits are what coaches will highlight and hits are what coaches will point to when somebody else isn't doing, you know, oh, he's not getting sacks, but he's getting the hits, you know, whatever sacks are what get people to the pro bowl sacks are what get people on the all pro team sacks are what get people paid. So that ultimately is what you have to see from Carl Lawson when the regular season comes. But this guy's disruptive as hell, man. I mean, it's just, it's been fun to watch him go. And, and I keep seeing all these people like Damian Woody was mentioning it on Twitter and 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 the Salas mentioned it on Twitter and, and Douglas will probably say it when we talk to him. Lawson's only making Makai Becton better. Lawson's only helping Makai Becton. If that's true, Makai Becton's going to be an all pro this year because Lawson is just, I mean, it's a challenge like I've never seen anyone else face it it really is it really is remarkable and and that defensive line as a whole team's coming together pretty well and Beckton has talked about the fact that you know if he gets burned by Lawson which you said has happened consistently uh afterwards you know after that play they talk about it like what you know what did you do there what should I have done to stop that move and that's what you want is yes you're gonna get better just by playing against somebody that good but if you can actually have those conversations with that person and they're willing to go over it with you. I mean, that that's the next level as far as being good teammates and, and raising the entire team from a talent standpoint. Now across the field on the other side, um, there's been a, a nice bright spot for this Jets team, Connor, and one that also has kind of been a surprise. A guy that was undrafted a year ago, 2020 yeah. Bryce Huff, who seems like, you know, you, you want to come in this defense, you want to bring it from both ends. So if you're going to have a loss and you need somebody on the other end, you mentioned eventually drafting that guy. But Bryce Huff could be that guy on third downs the way he's playing, right? He looks good. I mean, he lo- he's you know he's a guy. It's kind of tough. Like that's the thing is that players like that usually shine in the preseason. And with there being no preseason games last year, it was kind of tough to see the undrafted rookie player that's really like impressing coaches because you'd see him get like those three or four sacks in preseason games. You'd be like, Oh, wow, that guy's something. So when Bryce Huff made the roster last year, it was a little bit of a surprise because while he was a priority undrafted free agent signing, 
he was still a guy that we didn't really notice that much in practice. But Greg Williams and, and Adam Gase used to talk about this a lot is that he's just a disruptor. He's a guy that is kind of the way a lot of people described Carl Lawson when the Jets signed him is he's just a guy that finds a way to be an annoyance to the offense. And whether that's pressuring the quarterback or hitting the quarterback or getting into throwing lanes, he just has a knack for annoying quarterbacks. And he kind of made this coaching staff or the last coaching staff, I should say, fall in love with him because of that. This coaching staff seems to have picked up right where Greg Williams and co left off in that we started to see him working in some with the first team. Now I didn't know if the reason why Bryce Huff was working with the first team uh, offense at that or defense at during OTAs and minicamp was because um, there was a uh, Carl Lawson was out. Like he was training on his own during OTAs and then came for the last couple and then minicamp. I didn't know if that was the reason, but it was one of those things where you're like, Oh, okay. That's, that's noteworthy. The Jets worked their their situational third down drill in practice today. And what they did was they took John Franklin Myers and they moved him inside to replace Foley Fatukasi. And then they put Bryce, not Jabari Zuninga, not uh, Ronald Blair. Obviously, Vinnie Curry's out, so this might be Vinnie Curry's role when he comes back. But they put Bryce Huff in there at defensive end. So they had a pass rushing front of Bryce Huff, John Franklin Myers, Sheldon Rankins, and then Carl Lawson. And for the they they ran three plays with that first team defense. Bryce Huff nearly got a sack where he just flew past Morgan Moses. And in fact, if there was full contact, he might have wrapped up, but he kind of pulled himself up a little bit. So, you know, the, the play continued for an incompletion, but it was it was a near sack for Bryce Huff on the first one. There was a no doubt sack when he beat Morgan Moses on the second play to come in on on uh, on Zach Wilson. And then the third play, I think Zach Wilson like threw to Corey Davis or something like that. Or uh, no, that was no. He fired high to um, uh, Jamison Crowder ran a slant like a, a skinny little slant across the middle, and and he actually almost caught it, but Zach Wilson put it a little bit too far outside to the left. So uh, the first two of those three plays, Huff was right there in the backfield, and you know this. I, I've said this a lot that you know for this defense to be successful, it's going to have to be led by their defensive line. That. Sala likes the idea of not blitzing. He likes dropping his linebackers and his safeties into coverage, but you can only drop your linebackers and safeties into coverage if you can create pressure from your front four. I didn't know if the Jets had the personnel to do that. I don't think they don't have the personnel that the 49ers had. Like they like few people in the league have it when you talk about or what they had with Armstead and DeForest Bunkner and D Ford and Bosa and all those guys. I mean, it's just very, very few teams in the league have that. But the Jets are showing that they might have the defensive line that's quite a bit better than some people thought, myself included. And Bryce Huff taking that next step is a major part of that. Franklin Myers being disruptive is a major part of that. Sheldon Rankin staying healthy is a major part of that. The Carl Lawson that we've seen the last week and a half is a huge part about that. And then you throw in the fact that Next week is when Quinn and Williams should return. When the Jets do these joint practices with Green Bay, that's when Quinn and Williams is going to start practicing. That's when Quinn and Williams is going to be added to the mix. And then when suddenly you're talking about a defensive front featuring Huff and Franklin Myers and Rankins and Lawson and Quinn and Williams, that's that, that if Williams takes the step, if Williams takes the next step, if Huff develops into a legitimate player, if Carl Lawson does in the regular season what we've seen, that has the potential to be a top 10 defensive line in the NFL.
I mean, that that's that's the front line that Joe Douglas has built, both defensively and offensively. Because if Vera Tucker and Becton take the next step and develop into Pro Bowl players, and McGovern is is solid and 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 uh Greg Van Roten kind of regress or uh, elevates himself to how he kind of played in Carolina. And then Morgan Moses is a player. If Morgan Moses is a player, he was in Washington. Greg Van Roten kind of gets back into playing more comfortable in a scheme. Connor McGo- or Connor McGovern stays healthy. And then Vera Tucker and Becton are as good as the Jets believe, which are pro bowl, all pro players. You're talking about a top 10 offensive line and a top 10 defensive line after two off seasons with Joe Douglas being in charge with all of these draft picks still coming. And when the Jets hired Joe Douglas, that's what he said. He said, it starts up front in the trenches. You need a good line on both sides of the ball. The Jets look like they are well on their way in doing that. And and I didn't think, I thought after they signed Morgan Moses, I was like, okay, they're pretty close to the offensive line. As long as Vera Tucker and Beckton develop, they're pretty close there. Like that, that is a line that's good right now and has a chance to be very, very good if those two guys develop. Defensive line, I was kind of more like, all right, I got to see Carl Lawson be the guy that can get double-digit sacks, not just quarterback hits. I got to see Quinn and Williams stay healthy and do what he did the second half of last year before he got hurt for a full season. I got to see who's going to start at defensive and opposite. Is it going to be Vinny Curry? I don't think he's really going to do it. Is it going to be Huff? What's it going to be? See that? Now that I've seen it throughout a week and a half, again, the Jets are going to take their lumps. They're a young team, but they look like a team right now that's going to be led by their offensive and defensive lines. And if you're talking about a team that's eventually going to develop into one that is a contender for the foreseeable future, the best teams are the teams that are led by their offensive and defensive lines and have a quarterback. And the Jets, obviously, we got to see what the quarterback, you know, Zach Wilson's a rookie, you never know. But they're well on their way to building that offensive line. And it looks like they might be well on way to building their defensive line. And then if that quarterback comes along as well, rebuilding the Jets into a consistent perennial playoff contender and eventual Super Bowl contender, you're on your way to doing it. That is the scary part, though, that it all, despite all of that, it all comes down to whether or not you made the right choice at number two with and Zach injuries. Wilson. And, well, and injuries, right. Yeah, we'll find let's be that honest, out. I mean, like, Mike McCagan was horrible. Like, and, and Douglas was potentially not very good his first draft. I mean, if... We, we should actually speak about this because I'm asked about I'm, I, Marissa, if it's in the comments section, make sure this is one you, you bring up is if, if people want to talk about Denzel Mims. But that first draft class by Joe Douglas, aside from Makai Becton, it doesn't look that good. I mean, because Denzel Mims is working with the third team right now. LaMichael P. Ryan is a guy that's kind of now three, fourth fiddle on the death chart. I mean, Jabari Zaning is hurt. He hasn't really done anything. James Morgan's your third team quarterback. You got Braden Mann, but now Cameron Clark is your 13th. I mean, there's not really that much aside from maybe Bryce Hall that you're hanging your hat on. is like, wow, that's a hell of a draft class. I mean, you basically came away with Makai Becton, which looks really good. Then potentially Bryce Hall. And that's it aside from a punter. So like that, that's not very great, but the depth of this team is an issue because if Becton goes down, they're screwed. If Eric Tucker goes down, they're not as screwed, but not very good. If they start getting injuries at receiver or quarterback, I mean, there are the jets are good as long as, or not good, but the jets have some good potential to develop as long as they're healthy. But they still got to work on this depth because depth the depth is not good. Like the, this is the depth is not good on this team, and that's just for the sake of you can't erase five years of drafting ineptitude in, in two off seasons. It's going to take significant significant time.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, so we had a couple more things on the rundown, but we know you don't look at the rundown, Connor, so we're <laughs> going to switch it up because we have good questions in the chat this week. We don't, sometimes there aren't many questions, but this week there's some good ones. So let's transition to that. Go ahead, Marissa. All right, so kind of like what you're talking about with depth there, Connor. This question is from William Kerr. He says, Connor, based off what you've seen from the last week or so, outside of cornerback, where does – where do you see us improving the roster at cutdowns? Um, linebacker would be one, because aside from those three, I don't think the Jets have much going there at linebacker. I think there's some issues there. Uh, safety could be one as well, because if Ashton Davis is out till week two, I mean, if Ashton Davis comes back, they're fine with the three, but they're an injury away from having JT Hassel starting at safety, an injury away from having Bennett Jackson start at safety. I mean, that's not a very good thing. And and corner, obviously, I think the Jets – the thing about corner is, like, the Jets just have four or five guys that are all kind of in the same roll the dice and thrown out there. You know, are they good? Are they not good? Are they developing? Are they young and, and unproven? Or are they kind of – I mean, the corner spot is, like, the only way you can improve the corner there. But I think it's offensive line. But that's – that's so many teams in the NFL. Like there's, there's so many, there are so few teams in the NFL that have good offensive line, let alone depth at the offensive line. But I think the jets can absolutely improve themselves um, at the the center position. I don't know if Feeney necessarily is the option we'll see there. Um, and then tackle a lot of it's going to come down to George Fenton. If he comes back from COVID and what the jets are going to do there. So that, that's kind of a, a big thing where we're going to, we're going to see actually, I completely, I completely forgot about George Fenton because he's on the COVID list right now that we haven't seen him at practice. So when you know those two guys, it's Murray and, and Connor McDermott at tackle, and it's like, well, that's not very good. But Fant coming back kind of helps that a lot. So the Jets actually maybe are better on the offensive line than I thought. But um, I think they could they could definitely improve the linebacker position. I think safety could be a position. I think, look, I'll be honest with you. If there's a good player there on the waiver wire, the Jets should go out there and get them because this is a team that is still trying to build their depth, build themselves around. And if there's a good player they think can go out and get, go out and get them. And the perfect examples that I can give you guys. Braxton Berrios, waiver waiver claim acquisition. John Franklin Myers, waiver claim acquisition. If you see a good player, no matter the position, and you think he can make it better, you go out and you get him. Okay, that kind of answers two questions, so that was pretty good. Um, <laughs> this question is from Dan. Are you seeing why Bryce Hall would have been drafted in the first or second round if he wasn't injured in college? Uh, I will say that Bryce Hall is having a good camp. I don't know about first or second round pick as a corner. I mean, I, I know people say that, but like, I will say that he's having, he's turning some heads and I'm feeling much more comfortable with him than I am bless Austin. And, and, and I don't know if Bryce Hall is a lockdown corner, but I think what I've seen from Bryce Hall is I think there's legitimate potential to be a number two corner. I think he's, he's showing that there's legitimate potential an ability there to be a, a starting corner. Now, is he going to be like an elite level player? I don't know. There's so few of those guys in the NFL, but I, I feel much more confident about Bryce Hall, having seen Bryce Hall work throughout the offseason program and now the first week and a half of training camp than I did about Bryce Hall previously. And and the I think today was probably one of his best practices because we got a chance to see the, the receivers and the defensive backs go one-on-one. -on -one. And so Bryce Hall 
who is because he's going against Corey Davis. You can read that as Bryce Hall is this team's number one corner right now. He went up against Corey Davis in the first play. Zach Wilson and Corey Davis tried a back shoulder throw. Bryce Hall was all over it, stuck his hand in there, broke it up for an incompletion. The second repetition that they went through, and they only did about five minutes of the drill, so really the players only got two repetitions at this. The second play, Corey Davis tried a go route, and Bryce Hall stuck with him all the way down the field, got physical with him up in the air, actually turned around in time to position himself between uh, Corey Davis and the ball, and then got physical with him, and they both fell to the ground. So for a Hall to go in a one-on-one drill that favors the receiver, like it's hard to stop a receiver in that regard when really you have to cover them for four seconds because there's no pass rush. Bryce Hall stepping up in that spot against Corey Davis is a really good sign. And he continued it through practices and stuff like that. And, and what I will say is that aside from Elijah Moore, who beats anyone he's in front of, Bryce Hall has done a pretty good job of slowing a lot of guys down. A lot of the big plays that the Jets might have or the Jets have potentially connected on, again, aside from what it's Elijah Moore, it's been going up against Bless Austin or it's been getting through past the safeties and things like that. It hasn't really been going up against Bryce Hall. And, and I think that is a good sign for the Jets. And I think they're rolling the dice with him. It's a, it's a good sign. The one player that I have a little concern with is bless Austin. I don't necessarily know if he's a guy. I, I, the issue is I think right now the Jets have at best two number two corners. And I don't know if you can be a successful defense, if you don't have a number one corner, if that makes sense. But I think Bryce Hall is, has made me significantly more comfortable with him and his ability uh, than I was previously and, and going into this off season. Okay, our final question. This is a tough one, Connor. Who is the better Michael Carter? <laughs> uh, I'll be honest with you. I think they're both looking really good. I mean, I really that's that's like the one guy that's constant. If you listen to Sala whenever he talks about these rookies, the one player that he mentions without it being instigated is Michael Carter, and he constantly mentions that's the running. He has two chances. <laughs> yeah, he's not gonna have two birds, one stone. But he's always like, he's always like, yeah, you know, the player that you know we thought, and then we got Michael Carter, and then we got Michael Carter, and then we got Michael Carter, and Michael Carter, and Michael. How do you know which have, one he's talking about? He's usually talking about the offense. Like the camp has usually almost always been about the offense because it's exactly what, if he's, all that what stuff. if he's not. I guess I, that this is. I've been up for a very long time, Marissa. I, <laughs> I was sat in like. 12 hours of traffic driving home from Maine. I'm not ready to play these hypotheticals yet. But. Just asking the questions the chat wants yeah. to know. Yeah, no, they, uh, the, it, when he's been, he's talked very glowingly about the running back. I know from talking to Salah personally that he is very high on the defensive back as well. And, you know, I think a Javelin Gidry, they've basically been going practice by practice where Javelin is the starting nickel this practice. Then the next practice, Michael Carter, then it's Javelin, then it's Michael Carter, then it's Javelin, then it's Michael Carter, then it's Javelin, then it's Michael Carter. Oh, it's going to be Michael Carter. And you can see he's just a different player. And, and he made a hell of a play. I didn't see the receiver he was up against. I couldn't really tell. But Carter jammed him at the line to the point where he didn't get within five yards. It was one-on-one, -on -one, so Mike White still threw the ball. Carter was able to get past him and reach out his arms to make a lunging interception. It was a really, really pretty pass. And I think that gives them between OTAs and minicamp like two or three interceptions, which leads the team. So he's a guy that is looks pretty good. Michael Carter, the running back, I think what's surprised me most about him and what I didn't know as much about him was how elusive he is. That he has this like jump cut that he works into his repertoire seamlessly, where it's just like he pulls it out and he goes with it. He pulls it out and he goes. With it. It's the jump cut, the little juke. Uh, like he's, he's more explosive and elusive than I thought. His big thing is just going to be learning patience and learning when to find the hole, when to be decisive, because you don't want to overdance. 
You know what I mean? Like you don't want to dance so much in the hole that you allow the defense to close in on him. So far, he hasn't had that problem. But I can't. I honestly, I can't pick the most impressive Michael Carter. I think they've both honestly been 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 really good through the first week and a half of this. We will uh, keep track of the leading Michael Carter throughout the preseason <laughs> and into train in the end of training camp. All right, that's going to do it for us. For this episode of the pod, I mentioned it last time, but now the training camp is underway. We'll be coming to you once a week throughout the training camp. And then once the season starts, we'll be back to the in season twice a week. Uh, some sort of recap on Monday and then a look ahead slash other stuff later in the week. Uh, if you want to join The Athletic, you've been seeing it scroll across the bottom of the screen throughout the show. But you can join for 33% off a one-year subscription right now. Go to theathletic.com slash can't wait for that. Give us a five-star review if you're watching anywhere. Um, all of that stuff helps in the long run. Thanks for joining us on the stream. Thanks for listening on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get this. We'll talk to you again next week.